HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Change is inevitable, and in today's landscape, change is constant. Restaurants will not look the same as they once did for the foreseeable future. Whether through closure, regulation, or community fear, we can't expect to reopen our businesses without adapting to the way things will be. Growth will be in your hands. We're back with another episode of Reopening Soon, talking to chefs, restaurateurs, and those in the hospitality business about the impacts of the coronavirus crisis. We've spoken with chefs on closing down and approaching their local government and mental health and well-being in this unprecedented era seems everywhere you look, there's a story about the pivot, which has become today's business buzzword. While some call it pivoting, those of us in and around the hospitality industry are calling it fighting for survival to possibly stay afloat and and serve our communities. Our guest today is Brandon, co-founder and COO of our beloved pizza, of Roberta's Pizza. If you are a fan of our show and of Heritage Radio in general, you likely know and have been to the delicious Roberta's in Bushwick. Roberta's is now offering make-at-home pizza and pasta kits, baked goods, and grocery, as well as delivery from all locations. And later today, we'll be joined with Jeremiah Stone and Fabian from Contra and Wild Air and People's Wine to hear about how they've pivoted their LES businesses into a new delivery-only model called Contraire. So, Brandon, our friend, who we're so used to seeing every Tuesday, we miss you. How I miss what you is too. Like, yeah, <laughs> like we miss you so much. I, I um, still, miss- I still am drinking in the day, though. So, I, do, <laughs> I definitely have a beer. Some things never change. That's good. Some things never change. <laughs> Are you still doing manual labor in the yard, though, at Roberta's no, every day? No, <laughs> there's not. There's nothing to do. And I'm like, I went by, I was like looking at all the plants and everything. I was thinking, oh man, this is probably a really good time to do this. And then I was like, where am I going to get all of this stuff? And like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? I, I feel like I need that right now though. Some manual labor would be nice. Yeah. It would be a nice distraction from uh, figuring out how to keep a business surviving and feeding people and keeping people employed. Um, so While yeah, also but- trying to get your kids passed through school. The right. childcare struggle is just real. I mean, you are yours. How old are your kids now? My uh, five and six. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's just a whole other podcast. So, uh, about- so really, I've just given up. They're going back to kindergarten and first grade again next year, and that's that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kids. You'll be fine. You'll be redshirted. Dad, dad's be good. made a decision. Yeah, dad's made a decision here. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about like the business decision behind changing, you know, your model and some of like, you know, how how it's all working out for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the biggest thing is that that it's just constant change, right? Like you you have to look I, I remember very distinctly, like we had a Thursday meeting and this was well before there was like any, I like, um, no, nobody really knew that we were going to shut down and we were preemptively already kind of talking about like what, what things we would, we could do, um, moving forward. <clears throat> and, and thankful, thankfully for us, we, we're kind of in a position where there was a lot of things that, that we could move into. We, we were already doing frozen pizza, which is, which is one of the businesses that we have that's like doing better that, than it has before. Um, unfortunately, it's not uh, still not a big enough business that can support all of the other um, businesses that we have. I mean, we have five restaurants completely shut down with no revenues coming in. So, so in order to really just like not dig ourselves a huge hole of debt, um, we really, we really had to focus on like what was the baseline amount of money that we needed to make weekly. We really, we really like simplified the business um, in so many ways, really just to see it um, minute to minute. So, so we knew that we weren't just like um, hemorrhaging money left and right. And um, for us, like moving into the grocery was pretty easy because we were already producing a lot of this stuff in house. Everything that we were making for the restaurant, we were producing. Um, in our commissary, so so we had the skill set, and um, we had we had the manufacturing manpower and kind of some of the automation of things, and and we knew how to do it. So so we just really kind of had to put our foot in the ground and take a different a different um, you know had a different direction with some of the things that we were already doing and just figuring out how to like market them and merchandise them and kind of get them out to people um, in, in a less traditional way. Like, you know, we're not going to have people sitting down looking at menus and ordering these things. We have to figure out how to get them these things. And, and I think one of the first successes we had was with the, the kind of like the DIY kits, the like, do your, do your own pasta and make your own pizza. Because I think people outside of, of like just the basic need to have food, right? You're also looking for something to do. I think everybody who's quarantined and stuck at home is just like bored out of their minds right now. And they're just like, give me anything. Like I'm like willing to do like a box opening with my kids. It's less like <laughs> at a certain point when you're stuck in there for, for a long time, you're just like, I, whatever, whatever it takes to like burn a few hours. So, so I think some of these things um, were natural and, and they were, um, you the heavy participation kind of things people were, were really into. Um, and then it was just kind of like building on top of that, that like momentum for, for people, you know, whether it was the grocery, uh, re really it was the hardest thing for us was gearing up the logistics for, um, for all the delivery stuff that we had to do. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Are you relying on like third party, like people for your deliveries, are you doing a mix? Like how, how is that all being figured out? Like the logistics are just a challenge during this time for sure. Right. So I'm, I'm at a mix, you know, I would say, um, 95% of all of the, 
like hot food items, I'm doing third party. Um, and I took my delivery, my in-house delivery and moved them strictly to grocery. Um, our grocery program is, is, is still pretty small and really like we can only, because of the, the amount of delivery, um, drivers we have, we can only do so much of it. So we're really limited. We reached out to a bunch of building management companies and said, Hey, this is a program that we're offering. And we gave them building codes. So, so the way our grocery delivery works is like, there's like 45 buildings, um, between Brooklyn and Manhattan that, that have access to a site that we built and they can like go on and order with it, with their code. And that also like limits the amount of places that we have to go. So like, you know, we have, we do, we do Brooklyn on Thursday, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it's like, we only have to do like seven deliveries, but it'll be for 40 different people. So it makes it a little, a little easier for us to handle rather than if we had to do 40 deliveries in a day to 40 different people, like we wouldn't have the capacity to actually do it. So we had to think kind of outside of the box, like how could we get the best bang for our buck? Now, now doing a more kind of a la carte style delivery is something that we would like to get to, but right now it's just very difficult to, to like, you know, keep that kind of delivery staff, um, maintained and and just like honestly like keep keep them there a lot of people are still very scared and don't don't want to be out on the front lines like that so it's really hard to find you know people one who who like want to go out and do it and feel comfortable doing it we don't really want to be putting people out there that aren't feeling comfortable with the, the situation that they have in front of them yeah. I mean, that's a scary part too, is like, and there's a real ethical concerns and like as a business owner, it's like you want to provide people a living, but you also want people to feel safe. Yeah. You want them to be safe, you know? And, and also you don't want to like, like for uh, the way I look at this too, is like, you don't want to perpetuate this thing. I would rather stay like this for, for six more months and know that this is going to be it. than like rush this thing back and have another shutdown in, in seven months. It's like, I don't want to start up and, and like, it's just better to get this thing over with. And it's, it's kind of like, you just got to like, let it, let it die out naturally. And, and you got to just like do your part. So, so that being said, it's like, I don't also want to be sending out an unnecessary amount of people like around. So we're trying to consolidate these things to, much, much less like contact points. So instead, like I said, instead of delivering 40, 40 different places in a day, we're only delivering to seven, but we're hitting 40 people. So, so it's like trying to think of things like that, 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 that make it a little bit easier on both sides of this equation. Right. Is that how you're thinking? Are you thinking you know, six months out? Or are you thinking every two weeks and reevaluating plans? I'm, I, I, Right, right now, we are planning for this thing to last for a really long time. We're, we're saying, what do we need to do every day to like make sure that if this lasts a year or this lasts 18 months, can we like maintain? So um, uh, our, our goal is to really just try to hit those break-even numbers like on a weekly basis to know that we're making payroll and that we're not like, like I said, that we're not like just absorbing a, a crazy amount of debt. Now, that being said, th we are like, there is debt every week. You know, we're, we're not like 100% over that line, but we're not accruing debt at like a, an alarming rate. So, so we feel pretty comfortable right now. Um, 
you know, we, we applied like a lot of other people for the, for the PPP loan. And, um, you know, one of the stipulations to that loan is bringing back that 75% of your payroll, right? Which, which is a little bit more difficult than one might think. It's really nice to like bring those people back, but it's like, do they want to come back? You know, a lot of them are just like, they feel safer at home. And a lot of them, a lot of people out there that don't want to come back. Um, well, the fear too is, will you be able to keep them after eight weeks when that PPP sort of runs out, right? Right, correct, correct. And will you be in a position to like maintain that, maintain that payroll? So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. I think you just have to like monitor. Th- those are the kind of things that I think you take in the like more of the two week span. But, but for us, we like geared this whole thing up just being like, hey, we might be in this for a year. So like, what do we need to do to be successful um, to like really make sure that we can maintain all of the things that we're doing? So when we do snap out of this, we're at least in a position to like, you know, start growth back up again in a, in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Right. How are the, how do the economics break down on the, um, on the, the DIY kits essentially? Does it, is it, is it more profitable? Is it more work? Is it less work than it's, doing the, the it's, fully? It's probably, it's probably about the same. I would say, I would say, um, uh, besides like, Maybe maybe like the pizza kits are are probably a little less work, but some of the other things are really like like the pasta kits. It's still the same amount of work. We're making all of that like fresh pasta, so we're making the fresh pasta. Like if if it's like a ra- uh, a ragu, like the oxtail ragu, which we have on right now, it's still like all that process and all that labor is still embedded in it. So um, it's still quite a bit of work. The 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 pizza kits are a little bit better, right? Because like all of that stuff's already being made and it's there, it's sitting there. It's like, it comes with the dough ball, it comes with the the pack of Pilati, it comes with the, the mozzarella. So yeah, all of those things had to be prepped and made, but then they're just packaged. Um, you just kind of like, a lot of the labor is just moved in different directions. Like it moved from, from you know, preparing these foods to like, more logistics. So I need more logistics. I need more people packing boxes and packing bags. And I need more people expediting phone calls and expediting third-party pickup. So it's like really just the labor force just had to change gears. I just had to position them in different places um, to be more efficient. And are you using the the same people? Are your cooks now, some of your cooks or dishwashers, are they transferring into... Um, customer service or roles like that? Yeah, I mean, we 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 are using the labor pool that we have first for everything. We're asking people whatever they want to do. So any of the people that were working for us uh, before this happened are the first ones on the list to get asked to do anything. You know, it's like if you want to do any, if you want to be a driver, if you want to just like pack items, those are the people that we're asking first. Um, unfortunately, I think we've kind of already like gone through most of those. And now we're like looking outside to try to find people to, to fulfill some of these positions. I think at a certain point, it's just like the, the people that don't feel safe or don't feel comfortable coming to work, they're the ones that are just going to stay out. Right. And, um, and you, you just kind of have to like keep getting back out there and finding out who, who is willing and who, who does want to do it. 
So, I mean, you're actually hiring during this time. And so we are. That's, yeah. That's, I mean, I saw that on your Instagram yesterday for the frozen pizza yeah. business, which is incredible. I think another interesting thing too, is that you are bi-coastal, right? So you have your LA restaurant and your New York city, several restaurants and, um, how, tell us about the differences that you're seeing on each coast and, and like how you're seeing the outlook over the next six months, a year. Right. Well, you know, New York is always just has a greater kind of delivery presence than, than California does. I, and, and this is just per my opinion and kind of how I see it. I just feel like in California, people are more, um, they're, they're more prepared and, and ready to kind of go to the grocery store, shop for the week. They have large refrigerators, they have garages, they can like get everything and they can cook every night and they can do that. Where I just don't think New Yorkers for the most part are prepared to be able to live like that. I think a lot of them do rely on having to deliver, have food delivered to them at least a couple nights a week. So, um, you know, New York, we, we do a, like a significantly more, um, deliveries a day than we do in LA. LA is much tougher. We have to really like, like conjure up things to get people involved. You know, we do like CSA pickups and, and things like that, that really like help us boost, um, boost, boost sales out there. But that one, that one is really like a struggle to, we just pretty much look at like trying to break even every day, just making payroll is really the, the, um, the key out there. Do you think, will there be a point where you're like, okay, this isn't worth it anymore in any of these locations or you're just, you know, sort of like, it's better to stay open and be present for the community? Uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, the problem with, the problem with just shutting it down is like, I don't, we don't have, we're a self-funded group. We don't have like a group of investors who are willing to like kick in more capital to start us back up. Right. So we can't just accrue debt. I can't just like shut everything down and let the clock start ticking and be like, okay, in a year we'll come back and we'll just be in debt $2 million or $3 million. Like, I don't, I don't really, I can't afford to do that. That, that would be, that it would be very hard for us to, to like start back up if that was the case. So, so for us, we kind of just have to grind along and make sure that we can um, at least maintain that like minimum threshold that we need to maintain. I think at the same time, um, you know, Carlo and I both kind of just feel this obligation to like feeding people. It's like if everyone just takes this approach of just shutting down, people like people need to get fed. There also has to be some enjoyment in life at the same time. Just because this is happening to us and we're quarantined and we're we're participating and trying to keep the spread of this thing tamed, like we we still have to like enjoy ourselves and try to have some sort of mental, you know, stability in our day-to-day -day life. Well, even though it is, feels like Groundhog's Day, like you have <laughs> to have some, there has to be some like good things still, still, you know, you can't just like wake up and drink a bottle of wine and have nothing and, you know, do your good homework with them. Why not? Like, I might jump out a window, like. <laughs> totally becoming an alcoholic because I mean, it's true. It's like, you and everybody else. it's like, I know the liquor companies are like the only ones who are like, you know, laughing all the way to the bank in this one, but it's true. I mean, it's like, you know, that there, I agree with that. So many people in this world and me and Alex and everybody we know get so much pleasure and joy from like 
feeding people and being fed something delicious and amazing. So I, you know, that's, there is like the pure, we need to remember to enjoy factor. I love that. Um, and speaking of booze, like I saw you're starting to do like bottled Negronis. And so tell us about that. Is that like helpful for bottom line? Do you, you know, is that like another, I mean, yeah, it seems like you so guys are just like really trying it all. Go ahead. Right. We are. We're, you, you got it. We're throwing, throwing <laughs> it at the wall and the sticks, we're like rolling with it. We were really trying it all. And so this week, this week, our big focus was on like alcohol sales and delivery of, of alcohol. So, so, you know, when we started off, we had a few like kind of Roberta's classics, like the ASAP Julio. And we had some of those like batched cocktails on there and we couldn't even keep them like on, we were just like, we would make huge batches of them and just like sell out of it like right away. So we kind of really like, we noticed this trend and, and, you know, anyone that's like stuck at home is noticing the trend probably within themselves is that it's just like so much easier to like, be like, whatever, I'm having another cocktail. I know it's three <laughs> 30, but I'm just going to do it. And it's like, it happens. I'm like, you got to make you got to like spend this time doing something, um, wh- whether good or bad. But, um, we so so this week we're launching uh, an IGTV series where we're gonna do we're gonna do like cocktails and 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 the cocktails that we make on Fridays um, for for the show called Stir Crazy that's gonna be on our IGTV is um, you know tomorrow we'll post what the ingredients are and you'll be able to go like Caviar DoorDash any of our third party providers and be able to buy the DIY kit so like this week we're doing Jungle Bird. Um, which is like a, a traditional, uh, maybe not traditional, but it's a it's a tiki cocktail in the traditional sense, and um, we will start selling those DIY kits tomorrow. So we'll do a post tomorrow, and people can kind of like buy the kit, which will come with like a bottle of like blackstrap rum, and it'll come with some Campari, and it'll come with all the components that you need to make the cocktail, right? And um, so that's that's one of the things that we're doing. We'll do that every Friday um, around happy hour. So so that's one thing we're trying to like add to these DIY cocktail um, kits. And then we're also doing um, alcohol delivery in our regular delivery zone. So all the people that are kind of in our delivery zone in Bushwick, we're now doing um, uh, like alcohol delivery service as well. So like all of our wine list. Um, you know, all the spirits and beers and all that stuff. So those are two, those are two kind of like fairly new things that we, that we've like, that, that were brought on on Monday. I love it. And so basically like you'll test it out this week and if it catches on and does well, you'll just keep rolling with it for the next few yeah. weeks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly Sorry. like how we did the grocery thing as well. You know, we started with like four buildings and we were really noticing like a lot, like a really good turnout from those four buildings. So we expanded into, um, like I said, into 30 buildings and really for that one, like whatever, like if the man, if there's management companies that are out there that like manage buildings that kind of have a lot of people in them, um, you know, we're willing to even expand that. But like I said, we need to, we need buildings that have like quite a bit of units in it. So instead of just like taking three bags of groceries to it, we know that we're getting four five, six orders per building. And for the grocery, are you using like your existing, your, like your normal restaurant providers and you're just putting in like larger orders and then breaking up cases and stuff? Is that sort of the model there? Yeah, well, so there's a lot of things that are actually prepared by us. So, you know, all the dried pasta is ours. We're making that. So 
Um, and then like some of the cheeses, like the mozzarella, the stracciatella, like things like that we're making in-house. So I would say it's probably about um, 40, 60. Most of the stuff are, are things that, that we're doing in-house or at least, at least um, you know, preparing them to, to some portion of it. And then, yeah, we, like I said, we've been working with, we, we have like some cheeses from Ann Saxelby and we have some meats from Heritage Foods and, you know, we're working with local vendors. We have like a vegetable box. So like in a CSA way where we like put together like seasonal vegetables. So we have a stat, we have, you know, we have a bakery as well. So our, we have like a bakery box. So you could get like, you know, a French stick and like uh, an oat loaf and things like that. Um, so we're really just, we're really just like week to week kind of analyzing the things that are doing well and trying to figure out what the things are that people need right now. And, and then amping that, that portion of the the grocery up. And we've noticed that people really want to drink a lot. <laughs> it all comes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love it. I really need your stracciatella right now. Like the grilled bread with the stracciatella, I would just do it. Well, you can it. get it. I know. Well, I'm not in your delivery zone, I think. Um, yeah, but where but you but all of that stuff, we a lot of it we do sell on like caviar and um DoorDash. And DoorDash, um, yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever third party like providers we use, like all of them have some sort of like grocery list on it besides just the, you know, the typical pizza stuff. We we offer that on all of them. Booze well, as well. You know, we have like Ooh. a really good like we're we're sitting on some like really heavily like allocated wines, just stuff that like because of our relationships with people that we have the ability to get. So it's like, we have some really super cool stuff that we're selling that you may not be able to find at like your local liquor store. Amazing. Um, yeah. I and mean, I love that you're still like supporting all the like farmers and cheesemakers and local purveyors like heritage and Anne. you know, during this time, cause these businesses are also severely impacted. Um, yeah, I mean, those were like the first people I reached out to too, because they're like, the, also they're just they're my friends. So you yeah. just want to make sure that everybody's like, um, you know, everybody's like figuring out a way to like get through this, and you you know, it's just best to try to like do your part the most you can, and and uh, you know, just keep moving forward. I love it. So you can have a Roberta's pizza party at home, complete with uh, DIY cocktails and pizza and grocery. And yeah, I mean, thank you for providing some enjoyment to people during this time. It's so needed. Oh, for sure. oh. did you guys start making oh. masks? We did. We started making oh. masks. Um, that's what I talked to Maya about yesterday. Okay, cool. Are we getting some? Um, I think so. I hope so. If your people so need too. them. Yeah, yeah, I'm. She asked me about can we do an R on? Can we can we brand them for you? So, um, so yeah, we can. We can brand them for you. We can make super cool masks to keep your people safe. Um, yeah, so yeah, and I think we, that's like going to be the next big step, step right? Like when when there is some like relief from this, it's like how do you move back into to like what what was your normal service? Like how do you how do you go back into it? And what kind of like what kind of precautions do you need to set up to make sure that people feel safe, like going out to eat, you know, are you taking people's temperature at the door Are like everybody masked? Like, I don't think anyone has any great answers to any of these questions. I think you just have to like try things and see what works for you. Yeah. 
I don't think there is a business. Yeah, go ahead, Al. So I think it'll be interesting. I think I think you know, beyond beyond the two months or the four months or the six months, I think it's going to be very different to dine out for the next couple of years. And whether that yeah. means we were talking about you know the idea of having screens between tables so that people are not <laughs> exposed to the table next to them, and, right. and how does that work? How does that work in New York where you have to have you know. 20 people per, you know, 50 square feet to be able to turn a profit. Like right. so, some things are just are going to be a challenge. I think concepts are going to have to be radically changed for. Yeah. For and I, and I think you just future. have to like, you have to travel down that road. And that's, that's so crazy for Roberta's, right? Because like just the idea of what Roberta's is and, and how we've always talked about it was like that place was tightly packed for a reason. The, the goal was to bring people together, people that, that aren't necessarily all alike each other, like bring them together and put them into one place and see how they react together. So, so it's really like stripping apart the nature of like what Roberta's, the dining room of Roberta's is all about. Putting screens is so like, like the opposite of, of, of what everything we've always stood for. So it's like you, you do, though, you have to like travel down these paths and see where they take you and, and see if you can adapt to them. And and maintain the culture and and what you've created at the same time, or or, or, you or may something have to new find that's a also new culture. Still yeah, right. Yeah. But that's still fun and still gives people a reason to leave their house. Like I I don't particularly see the, the great desire to go out and s- sit next to a shower curtain and have dinner. <laughs> no, but I also don't yeah, see a great maybe. desire to sit next to a human and have dinner. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, Just, like I guess you got to find the, the middle the Less of two evils, right? Right. Right. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how people, you know, I, th- I think, you know, innately people in hospitality are creative and want to find a way for people to have a good time and enjoy their space and be welcomed into their house. Right. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how different people, you know, perceive that and, and create something new. I think that's the, the optimistic way of looking at it. Yeah, that is. That's a great way to look at it. Hey, things will be different, and and sometimes that's a that's a really great thing. Agreed. On that note, should we take a break, Jen? Yes, we should um, for sure. And we appreciate your time, and can't wait to see what Roberta's two looks like on the other side and enjoy in person again. Ah, thank you guys so much. Can't wait to see you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com.
All right. So we are back with um, our guests, Jeremiah Stone and Fabian from Contra and Wild Air, which is now Contraire. Um, there are good friends and neighbors on the Lower East Side, and we miss you guys dearly. So catch us up how you went from basically, you know, fine dining food to now doing your delivery and takeout. Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we spent a little time uh, just to think about make you know what kind of decision we were going to make after we were we shut down i think two days before the mandate and then after that we um took another like almost week and a half two weeks off just to formulate a plan talk to all the staff um and we came up with um combining the staff of the two restaurants and kind of um the resources of of you know some of the people that um, were in leadership positions or those who uh, wanted to still work. And we ended up with the amount of people to basically just run one, one concept. Uh, and we knew we wouldn't have the demand to, to kind of run both either. So we just stuck with the, the one idea, which has become contraire. Um, it's not really a combination of the two restaurants in terms of food, but it's, it's a mix of a bunch of different things of, um, you know, a lot of personal um, uh, reflection of just like dishes that we've uh, made for events at home. Um, you know, just a, a total, it's quite random actually, but um, it's supposed to represent the two of us and, um, you know, a version of, of the, the, what you like about the other restaurants as well. I think I think it's it's awesome idea, and I I think that's it's one of the the only ones. I think you guys are one of the first or only that I've seen that's actually decided to rebrand and and do something that's new rather than. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are doing new things and they're pivoting in different ways, but I, I like that you branded it and that you've done something um, super unique with it. Congrats on that. Uh, are there like I'm sure that you've taken into account the fact that. Um, you don't have two minutes from plate to table anymore. Now you have you know twenty minutes, maybe yeah. upwards of hours, depending on if there's lines and people are waiting and what whatever happens. I'm sure you took that into account. Can you talk a little bit about how you did the menu based on that? Yeah, the menu is. I mean, is honestly really that's the number one thing. Is we were talking about how to make a menu that was, um, you know, not only going to last. Um, through the transit uh, and through it being, you know, waiting for a courier to pick it up or whatnot. But also that when you get it, you know, at home in the situation that we're in, that you feel like it's satiating and it's, you know, something that's homey and, and filling and um, kind of triggers something about eating out that you like. But at the same time, um, you know, we didn't want to do something that was too fancy and we didn't want to do something that like, felt like kind of just um like like the person who orders it has to do it themselves we just wanted something you could eat out of the box and the container you know the container and it still looks nice and it still feels like fresh ingredients you know from from smaller farms and and good product you know good quality meats and and fish and such um and and i think that when we started talking about the menu a lot of the ideas were things that either got better over time or um, you know, braised, 
slow cooked items, uh, confit or soups, um, you know, salads that were not, you know, we, we do like a marinated kale. So that's supposed to be marinated and dressed. So, you know, it's not think, you know, kind of just addressing kind of the, some of the problems that you get when you, when you get takeout and, um, and reverse engineering them to, to make sense. Um, so if you get a salad and it's overdressed and it's sitting in too much oil and, and lemon juice, then we've, you know, we did something that was meant to be marinated and, and supposed to be in that, in that way, or, you know, having side elements, you know, if it's something that has crunch or texture that we put them into separate containers, stuff like that. Cool. So what about like, the, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Al. I was going to say just about the, are the, you know, you guys were not, obviously not a delivery takeout concept before. Um, how is like the, the production, the, the preparation, the hours and, and the manpower changed from what you were doing, which was, you know, obviously, you know, a tasting menu at Contra and, and more of a wine bar uh, situation at Wild Air. How has that changed? Uh, it's been, I mean, they're working a lot of, uh, they're working three days a week, but they're working long days, um, to get ahead. So a lot, a lot of the food is, you know, the, the, we have a, um, a tripe, a birria, a kanji. These things take hours, five, six, seven, eight hours. The birria cooks for two days, basically. Um, so there's a lot of things that, you know, there needs to be a head start on. Um, and the production is quite different. The service is a bit easy easier um you know sometimes there's a lot of tickets and it gets overwhelming but the pickups are you know it's it, it's a lot more uh time is put into the into the preparation so when we are you know fired on a bunch of different um items it's easy to uh to manage but um i think you know we wanted to make sure the staff didn't feel like it was something that was so different from them and so from what they're used to and also something that they could learn from so there's there's a lot of fundamentals happening in the dishes and there's a lot of um preparation that I think the staff either you know would benefit from learning or they know a little bit of and we're just kind of intensifying that. So you know the 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 building blocks of of cooking a lot of it is 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 buried in this menu. So are you doing you're so you're not doing seven days a week, you're only doing three days a week right now? Oh we're in sorry. No, we're we're closed on Mondays. So we're doing uh um, Tuesday through Sundays, yeah. Yeah, we're doing yeah. side okay. man was three two teams of three. So the two teams don't ever see Got each it. other. Um to try to minimize, you know, possible cross uh cross infections. Infection <laughs> if there is <laughs> Yeah. I saw too like on your Instagram that you that people were like checking in and doing their temperature on the way in and you have like a full check-in process. Is that, tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. Um, we do, we have like a, everyone has to take temperature. We have, um, you know, there it's kind of rhythmic at this point and everyone comes in changes. Um, you know, they do their, um, the temperature, they write down, they do full sanitizing, they clean, they come in with gloves, uh, on their, on their, uh, way in, but, um, almost all of them are commuting via bike or their own bike or through car. Like, um, some of our staff is driving our other staff. Um, and we've asked them to not, you know, socialize with other people to, 
you know, um, to go not go to the grocery store if they need groceries to, you know, get it from us. We'll order it, uh, and to really just respect their coworkers and the workspace, and to, you know, if they, it's a if they wanted to be a part of this, and then there's a lot of things that went along with it. So, those are some of the things. Just like, although they, you know, they might like to go and pick up something from you know Target that they need, I said, look, like, we we, we can figure out a way. If you need something really bad, we'll order it through one of our suppliers. And, you know, uh, and when you're working, it's, you know, you don't make any stops. You don't, you don't, you know, go to the store unless there's the, the proper, you have the mask, you have the gloves, everything. So what was it like rehiring people or was it hard to find like team members who wanted to come back because you guys had shut down for a couple of weeks while you were, you know, figuring this all out or did people come back willingly? Was there like a re-interview process to make sure that they had been social distancing and all those kind of things? We had a plan set up from when we closed. We, we had some, I mean, we identified some people. We have a lot of sponsorships. So a lot of our workers are here on a visa. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that those people were, coming back to work uh, because they can't really... I mean, applying for unemployment is really hard for them. Yeah. So we, so we wanted those people. And, you know, our sous chefs were right off the bat uh, wanting to work. And, yeah, I mean, so we, we had our team and we definitely lost some people just because nature of people going back to their homes, going back to their parents. Um, I think when, when we closed, it was just such a weird environment that... Um, just people don't didn't know what to expect. People didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so that was definitely a, a, a problem. I think if we wanted to hire more people, the, that's where the problem would be because we would have a hard time finding people who'd want to come back to the city right now or, you know, just even work. It's it's such a tricky scenario right now. And did you guys can like ever, was this once you knew you had to close, were you ever considering staying closed or were you like, we need to figure something out? You know, like tell me like the economics of how that all shook down in the decision making process there. I mean, I think we, we, we did say we need to figure something out. Um, but obviously in respect to one of those things being closing, if we had needed to close, um, it would be foolish to, um, say that, you know, we weren't going to close no matter what. I think that we wanted to kind of follow how things, um, were, you know, how the spread was progressing and how, um, the government was reacting. And I think that, you know, once we realized that we could, cause we, what we didn't want to happen was to do it, to open it a week later. And then like a week, a week after that shut, because we weren't even allowed to do delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so once it kind of became clear that we were, we would be able to stay open for delivery, you know, we wanted to, to try and quickly figure out a way to get going. So, um, you know, the number one, we, we thought about a couple different, um, ways to go about, and we're still, the thing is, you know, we, we were very open about how this was going to come about. Um, you know, we were going to allow it to be what it needed to be. But also, I think that, you know, we're at this point still, we're, we're open to change. You know, whatever we need to do, uh, however that looks to keep the staff uh, employed or um, to keep them safe is, is kind of our plan of action. 
So are you like iterating basically on a week to week basis, just seeing what's working and, and adjusting or like what's your horizon and planning looking like? I think it it changes so much, you know, I think that's that's one of the reasons why we wanted to reconceptualize the whole restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we knew we didn't want to hide from it. So we really wanted to do something that was meaningful and was very real. So like, you know, right now our reality is trying to deliver to Brooklyn, trying to deliver uptown, trying to deliver to Jersey City, whatever it is. Um, so I do think that there's there's changes every day. And like Jeremiah said, you know, I think we're we're one of those people that, you know, we just try to adapt to whatever happens, you know. Contra was a, a product of adaptation in, in itself just because every year we changed, you know, little things here and there to to make it what, what people really wanted. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's something very special when you're doing something and it just evolves with, within what's happening outside of it. Um, so, you know, we're creating a website, we're creating branding, we're creating all these things. We're coming up with new dishes, changing the wines, just because we know this is our reality right now. Um, and I think we just need to work on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the rebranding is a really interesting thing because I really haven't seen anybody do that yet. And so what, I mean, you're also doing menu development and doing this all really rapidly in a place where it's like not necessarily as easy to get things from suppliers and you don't have the full team. What does that process look like? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're kind of trying to to do things in a way that makes sense. So not necessarily changing things just because, you know, it's it's fun and exciting, you know, we're changing things to make sure that they kind of fit what people are looking for. Um, you know, availability, obviously, uh, you know, I was talking to like, we're, we're about to put on another dish based on, um, you know, one of our purveyors being kind of left in a jam with a lot of extra product that somebody else was supposed to use another restaurant that ended up not taking it. Um, and so kind of also working with the, the different producers, the farmers, of, um, the meat and fish purveyors to, you know, understand what, what would help them in this, in this time. Um, because we're, we're, we're selling the product anyway. So uh, I think you might as well, you know, be able to help support others in a way that makes sense. I was talking with um, Vinny from Greenpoint, who we work with, and uh you know, like he's, he's very limited in what he has. And, you know, so I said, okay, we're not going to run, you know, fish necessarily, but there's some other things, uh, you know, he's got blanched lobster, he's got crab, whatever, um, different things that make a little bit more sense for, uh, his supply chain and also make sense for us to, you know, the execution of it. Um, and so we've been changing the menu. Like I, I've been here, working on different things every once in a while. Also, I think we, you know, are able to channel different elements from other items that we've run uh, and people can understand it pretty quickly. And right now we have mostly sous chefs um, uh, from all three of the, the restaurants in the, in the contrast space. So, you know, when we, it, it's, it's easier to get things off the ground when we say, okay, we're going to pivot, we're going to do this thing. Um, it's kind of similar to a dish we did at people's or we did this at wild air once, um, you know, they know what to extrapolate from that. And what about like the, so, and you're also doing like booze and wine delivery as well. Is that, 
how's that business been going for you? And, you know, like the ready-made cocktails and all that kind of stuff. Has it been, you know? Yeah, I don't think, actually, people have not been ordering that much of the cocktails, but the wine is going well. Um, you know, the cocktails were, was something that I think made sense. It still makes sense. Um, I think it's maybe like some people who might be living, uh, it's hard to communicate things as well. Um, through just like a platform without any human interaction because, you know, maybe some of the guests who are living at home don't understand that the cocktails are not going to go bad. So you can keep it in the fridge and just, you know, pour a glass over ice. Maybe there is some kind of uh, idea that you have to finish it, you know, because it's of the way that the drink is made. Um, But you really only have just the simple website of, you know, of your, your, you know, the portal, the front facing portal of what you can, uh, show the customer to, to engage with. But, um, so the cocktails, you know, they're, they're quite strong and they're meant to be, uh, you know, several cocktails in one bottle. Um, but people have liked them who've gotten it and we've, yeah, some people who only order, you know, a biscuit and they get a bunch of wine and some cocktails. (laughs) Who are those people? They're like having a party. I love it. It's like, and wine. That's all you need. Yeah, we do that. Like, there's usually like towards the end of the night. It's. I feel like it's kind of like a stoner order. It's like a jerk chicken <laughs> and three bottles of wine or two bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah, that usually happens around like nine thirty. It's like there's nothing, and then there's just like this one ticket that comes up, and it's just that that order. Maybe it's the same person, but yeah, the wine we've, <laughs> every we've been, day. <laughs> You know, like now that you've just shamed them, they probably won't order anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's, that's my favorite order. Yeah, I think Called that out. we, you know, we have staff that are, you know, the front of the house that we have. We just have uh, one front of the house, and um, our operations manager, who's, um, you know, working um, in the restaurant a few days, and you know, everyone's still excited to be. We're still getting in, we're still opening wine, you know, putting on new wine. So it's kind of fun um, to be able to have that um, still with people who are, you know, interested in that, in that aspect of the job. And then we have, you know, the cocktails, which um, Sam, our beverage director, developed a a bunch for us. um, And I made a cocktail, like, just to experiment and mess around. And so we're, that's that's kind of the spirit of the whole of the whole project is just, you know, everyone is kind of adapting and trying to come up with different ways to chip in. How are you guys looking at, we were just chatting with uh, Brandon from Roberto's before you guys, and he was talking about the length of time that he sees this thing going and planning. How are you guys looking at the near future is, you know, is contraire, you know, temporary until things change in a month and people are like slowly starting to come back or um is it for the foreseeable future is it changing every day like the news does what what are your thoughts on tomorrow the next day and months down the road who knows you know i I think it's it's such a hard thing to figure out right now just because there's so many layers to this i mean i think it's one of the very few circumstances that has caused this economical issues and social issues and 
You know, there's just so much uncertainty on how are people going to react to going back to restaurants? You know, what's the economical uh, ecosystem that we're going to walk into? What are restaurants going to be forced to do from the health department? Um, so I think we're just... I mean, we, we talk about it every all every day. We we talk to friends in the in California. We talk to our friends in Europe, and I think we're just we're just taking it day by day and and trying to figure out what you know. We we we're open to doing this for a long time. We're open to opening normal if we can. Um, you guys you guys travel yeah, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so tricky right are now. Are there are there friends in other countries that are perhaps ahead of us in going back to work that have given you any insight on? what it looks like on the other side? Uh, we haven't. Um, no, I was just going to say the only, you know, some, the ahead, only place John. I know that's kind of back to normal, so to speak, is Korea. Uh, and I haven't really spoke to our friends in South Korea because, I mean, it was a pretty short, uh, I mean, Taiwan as well. Um, but I haven't really spoke to them much. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to people in, in China and, I mean, it seems like people are a little, you know, concerned about going out to, you know, busy restaurants or like the, the idea of busy restaurant doesn't exist right now. So I think it's just mostly, you know, that kind of very low check averages, low occupancy. And then in Copenhagen, you know, they're about to open schools in the next couple of weeks, but they really haven't said anything about restaurants, but I think they're looking at also opening, you know, half occupancy and, and whatever it is. I think New York is just going to be tricky because we're so dense and we were so affected that, you know, I think it is good to talk to other people, yeah. but New York is just going to end up being its I think own that, thing. I think that we're going to need to um, really understand that if we open, you know, like I, I, I think most of the people that are, um, the own restaurants agrees that it could be more dangerous to reopen um, without really having the support that we need financially and try to make the, the money back without having, you know, the response from uh, people really wanting to eat out. And, and, you know, we can't have a half full dining room every night. It's just not how a New York business operates. Um, I think it's going to be, it's going to be all or none in a way. Um, I know that doesn't seem realistic, but if we don't have the help to, to kind of make it until that point, I just don't see how or the point of opening uh, as soon as we can because, I, you know, I, there, there's going to be all sorts of reaction. Yeah, some people are going to want to, are going to get back to it, but that, that percentage of people is not going to be 100%. Yeah, I, I think also, like, to your point that the DOH won't let, you know, there'll be very strict guidelines. And when you have small downtown spaces, like you have at Wild Air and Contra, like, how could you even have a half full? I mean, you it's like it would be impossible to really do social distancing. And then financially, how does that ever make sense for you if you can't be at full capacity? So I think our dining landscape is going to look really strange. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like Contra and Wild Air, for example, are two places that are, you know, we're able to produce the the quality of, of product that we can at the price that it is because of how many people we put in there at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that not everyone faces, you know, most people do, but 
if we, you know, the reason, you know, that we, that we have Contra at the price it is, is not because of, you know, the beef or the lamb or the onions that you're having. You're having the same, if not better quality products as, as the top restaurants that have huge tables, but it's really just the spacing in between. Everyone is, you know, is at a certain size table right next to each other. There's not a, a long time of, of staggered seating where you're, you're, you have empty seats next to you. And while there, it's the same thing. We, we put people who don't know each other kind of at the same table, you know, at, at these, to these high tops and it's created a, a really fun environment. And the, and the way to how small the room is, is, um, one of the reasons there's that energy, yeah. but you, yeah, you truly cannot scale back and just have, you know, half the amount of people and expect to, to survive. And in that sense, you were talking about like assistance and I know Fab, I, I just like die laughing every day at your memes. So thank you for providing some comic relief, even though I know it's probably painful. <laughs> um, but, you know, tell us like, what did you guys, can you talk about if you applied for PPP and like what kind of relief like you would it really take in order for you to be able to function again? I mean, we, we, we applied for our PPP and to be honest with you, I, I it's just such a weird thing that we we don't really know if we didn't get the first round or if the bank is just lagging on it it's just all a, lo a lot of lack of communication and so we're just waiting to see and even then if we get it we just we just have to see what it's like getting it and really applying it the funds to what we have to do because it's not really clear and everyone i talk to says that their banks have different information of what you have to do what you don't have to do so we'll just see through that. And then look, I think, you know, Potbelly, Shake Shack getting these these funds. I mean, you know, it, frankly, my opinion is that these companies create a lot more jobs than we do. You know, they definitely pay more taxes than we do. Um, so I can see why those funds would go to them. But the reality of this is that, you know, mm -hmm. America, I think, is made of small businesses. Um you know, the only way that this country can get out of this and really thrive again is through supporting small businesses, because while we may not pay as many as much taxes as those companies do or have that much money in our bank, you know, we hire the most amount of people in the country, I think. And the only way to get out of this is by not having a crazy amount of unemployment. And that's what we're looking at right now. So we need those funds. We need to hire people back. And it just needs to make sense, you know, especially if you're asking restaurants to open at half capacity or to spend more money doing these health checks because, you know, checking everyone's temperature, doing all these things. I mean, that's a cost that's going to cost a lot of money. So, you know, you need to fund those industries and make sure you set them up for success if we're going to reopen in these like unstable yeah, no, grounds. No, for sure. And I mean, I hear like, um, I agree with you that there, it, there's a time and place like for the bigger companies to be bailed out. It should have been a separate fund. Like, you know, like that's the problem is that, yeah, it's like the Shake Shacks of the world. Of course they have yeah, tons absolutely. of employees and they deserve, you know, their opportunity at accessing capital too. But there was a, there was a problem with the bill that should have not allowed publicly traded companies because they have a different access and it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you shouldn't call it a small business relief fund when yeah. when it's not directed to small f businesses. Um, 
which is crazy. And then you within, you know, that's a big conversation because there's even groups that for me are not small businesses that are considered small businesses. Um, but, you know, I think that there's just the expectation that, you know, we all expect those restaurants that charge $500 a menu or whatever it is to have the funds in the bank to be able to pay for people, um, you know, and I think that this is, you know, what Danny Meyer did. It was a great thing. Uh, I think it, it was expected for him to do it. And I'm, I, you know, I'm extremely shocked. Uh, well, not shocked, but I'm grateful that he did it yes. for whoever is going to get those <laughs> funds. But, um, you know, <laughs> we, we just need those people to really take a, you know, they should be the ones because Jeremiah says this all the time. But, you know, we're creatives. We have restaurants. We try to do what we do, which is cook. But we don't really have connections in the government. We don't have uh, people, politicians eating at the restaurants and whatnot. So I think those people with those connections need to speak up and they need to make a clear it's statement like the poor old that white men in the industry small who businesses are, uh, need help right now. For, you know, for the for the quote unquote independent restaurants, I agree. It's it's not a very diverse offering, and they do need to you know listen to the the independent restaurants and the small businesses, because you're right, 60% of the workforce in the country is employed by a small business or like a family owned business. So it is the majority of the workforce. Um, But anyways, we can go off on a tangent on this all day and get super angry, which I don't want to do. Just keep posting the memes (laughs) because I think that's helpful and provides um, some comic (laughs) relief for the pain and also your delicious comfort food. Um, So I'll let you guys get back to figuring out how the fuck to get DoorDash to Brooklyn or whatever it is you're doing. And, um, and people's wine. Can you like, I, you guys need to open the uh, delivery. Where does, where do you deliver to? Do you want to tell everybody? So our listeners know for all the different concepts. Yeah. Well, after tonight is, I think the first, we're going to launch, um, DoorDash drive, which, uh, has a 12 mile radius, which is, you know, that's pretty far. It's going to go, uh, anywhere that anyone that, that knows us probably lives. Um, but that one's a little bit more expensive. And then for, you know, a very reasonable, uh, fee, there is a two mile radius. And then, you know, I think, uh, caviar, which is what we're on as well, delivers up to midtown. Uh, so all over Manhattan. Awesome. And for people, it's the same thing. It's through those same delivery apps. No, uh, for peoples, we're delivering wine by hand, actually. So we're we're going everywhere. Um, there's a small charge to go, like you know, if you're in Forest Hills or Astoria. Um, but we're delivering pretty much um, all over Brooklyn, all over Manhattan. Uh, we just dropped some orders off the other day um, in Sunset Park. We were in Harlem the other day, so. Yeah, that's a little bit easier for us. We're, we're using cars to, to move stuff around with, with the wine. Cool. And all the info, you guys have redirected all of your websites to Contraire so they can find you either at the old websites or on the new ones, correct? Yeah, so you could go for Contraire. You can go to Contraire.net and you'll find all the information for delivery. And then for Peoples, you could go to peoples.wine. Uh, and then you could just fill a form and it'll just send cool. you directly. Well, congrats uh, on contact. launching a new business during yeah. a pandemic. I think there's a silver, <laughs> there's a silver lining okay. there. Um, <laughs> and you. yeah, we can't wait to see you guys and uh, have a great glass of natural wine and delicious food at your restaurants and um, see you guys on the other side of this. But thank you for sharing with us and we'll talk soon.
Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.